There was an article in the Wall Street Journal this week about Tim Tebow. And uh, Tim Tebow's attempt to play baseball. You know, we here in Colorado know him as a quarterback, but uh, after he never made the NFL uh, permanently, he's attempted to play Major League Baseball. And right now he's playing for the Birmingham Rumble Ponies. Doesn't that sound like a fun team? Uh, it's the double-A team for the New York Mets. But they had a quote from Tim, and here's, here's what it said. He said, there's so many other things that I could be doing that are a lot more money-driven and fame-seeking. But when I'm 50 years old, that's not going to matter. What matters is pursuing a passion and doing something that's in your heart. Pursuing a passion and doing something that's in your heart. You know, I've thought about this a lot. I'm not sure that I have that kind of passion for any sport or any activity. Um, you know, as I was growing up, I used to think of myself as a hunter. But then I met some people who are hunters, and I realized I'm not a hunter. I'm just, you know, I just kind of play at it a little bit. I like to ski, and I, sometimes I think of myself as a skier. But I have some friends that I know that are really skiers. You know, and, and, and I'm not a skier. I don't have a passion for skiing. You know, I like to go skiing when the, when the weather's nice and when the snow's deep. And uh, when everything's convenient, I like to go, but I'm, I'm, I'm not passionate about it that I have to make it and go. And the same thing goes with hiking and camping and, and those things. You might say, well, what about bike riding? You, you know, you're riding your bike all over all the time. Well, I could probably convince you that I have a real passion for bike riding. But when we were on this bike ride a couple of weeks ago, we stopped at a, at a B&B and we were having dinner. And uh, a real biker came in, a bicycler came in. He was, uh, we were riding our bike a little ways, a couple of hundred miles. He was riding his from Los Angeles to New York City and had made it from Los Angeles to Pennsylvania at that point. And he was from England. And a couple of days later, we met a guy who was from Sweden. And he was riding his bike across America to go in the opposite direction. He started in New York City and was going to San Francisco. And I thought, okay, now those are bike riders. Those are people who have a passion for bike riding. You know, I, I like to read. I like to play golf. But I'm not a golfer. I, I just, I play at it. I, I mess around with it. Because I don't have a real passion for any of those things. I, I've thought of myself, I've used the word, I'm a generalist. I'm a generalist. I like to do a little bit of all of it. The thing that concerns me is that 
I don't want that to carry over into my relationship for God. I don't want to be a generalist where my relationship to God is concerned. I want to have a passion for the Lord. I want to have the kind of passion for Jesus Christ that Tim was talking about as a passion for pursuing something and doing something that's in your heart. And this, uh, this summer, the first part of this summer, we're looking at Paul's suggestion to, to the young pastor Timothy about some of the keys to, to being successful in your spiritual life. And uh, we're looking at these in the first two letters, or in the two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. We call them First and Second Timothy. I want to I read to you from uh, the first chapter of First Timothy, just three verses to begin with this morning. And this is what Paul says to Timothy. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Fight the good fight. Keep the faith. Have a good conscience, he says to Timothy. And then, uh, and then he gives two examples of those who did not keep up the fight, those who did not keep their passion for God, those who, who drifted away into, into other things, uh, evidently into blasphemy because he, he, he uses that word. But P Paul says to Timothy, you know, keep, keep at it. Keep doing the good fight. Keep working the good work. Have a faith and, and a good conscience. You know, Jesus said that only those who hunger and thirst, and, and you know, you could kind of substitute the word passion. Only those who have a passion for righteousness will really know God. That's the passion that we want to have. That's the passion Paul is con, uh, in, interested in Timothy receiving and understanding as he fights the good fight and pastors the people who are in Ephesus. I read a story that came from India about a, a young man who went to the, uh, the master and he said, how can I really know God? And uh, the master says to the young man, he says, well, come here and let me show you. And he wades out into the, out into the river. They get out into the river and uh, he reaches over and he grabs the young man by the back of the head and he sticks his head under the water. And he holds him under the water. And the kid starts fighting and gasping, you know, swinging his arms and struggling to get up. And, and finally, the guy lets him back up. And the boy says, why did you do that? And he says, well, son, when I had you under the water, what did you want more than anything else? And he said, air. He says, yeah. Well, when you want God as bad as you wanted air, then you'll find him. When you have a passion for righteousness. Jesus says, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, then you will find God. And so there are a couple of things that in these two letters, 
that Paul shares with Timothy that, that he can do to make that passion real in his life. The first thing that he says is in uh, verse 16, and he says to, to Timothy, he says, find a godly believer. Find a godly believer and follow their example. Now, what, what Paul said to Timothy was follow my example. Well, we can't follow Paul's example. We, you know, we can follow some of the things that we see in there about Paul, but we don't know that much about him. We just know a little bit about Paul. We don't know his daily life. We don't know the way he, he lived his life uh, in the marketplace and in the uh, business place. We just don't know those things. And so we can't just follow him, but we could follow a godly example. Uh, his... His words are useful to us, but we need somebody that we can follow, we can watch on a, on a regular basis. You know, there are those super well-meaning spiritual folks who say, well, I just follow Jesus. Well, yeah, uh, I guess I just follow Jesus too, but the problem with that is we don't get the chance to watch Jesus every day either, not in the, in the context of watching somebody walk. The... Uh, what would Jesus do movement? WWJD. Now, I've said something about this more than once. It's not my favorite thing. I think it's a great attitude. It's a great heart to have to want to do what Jesus is doing. But the truth is, in a lot of cases, we don't know what Jesus would do. As a matter of fact, if you talk to two people with two different ideas, they have two different ideas of what Jesus would do. And what, what you end up doing then is... You do what Jesus would do because Jesus would do what you would do. And so that's the way we get, get, get around that, that whole thing. And so let's find somebody who is a godly believer and follow their example. So how would you describe somebody that's a godly believer? How, what, what were the things that you would look for to know somebody that would be worth following? Well, Paul tells Timothy there, there are a couple of things. He says, first of all, you need to find somebody who recognizes how good God is. You know, we, we talk about God being good. You need to know somebody who recognizes how good God is. In verse 12 of the first chapter, Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Paul says he recognizes God's goodness in his life. He says, I thank Jesus because he strengthened me and he considered me faithful and he has given me service to perform, something to do. And so we would follow somebody who recognizes God's goodness in their life. And as Paul is talking about God's goodness and the way God has worked in his life, then he, he just, he, he, he bursts into song. He, he just begins to sing. Verse 17 is a song. You know, you know it's just written in words in your Bible, but it, but it is really a song that he sings. And he says, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And so Paul, in talking about how good Jesus is and how good God has been to him, just bursts out. And begins to sing and begins to, to uh, uh, just praise God. 
in worship. There's a missionary in Cambodia who was witnessing to a group of Buddhist monks. And they were talking about Christ and then they would talk about their, their Buddha and their religion. And, and uh, just to make a point about his joy in Christ, the missionary began to sing. He just began to sing about how God good is praising God. Uh, some, some of the, the praise hymns that, that he knew and he just began to sing. And, and then after a little bit, he stopped and he turned to the monks. He says, why don't you sing? some of your songs. And the Buddhist monks thought about it for a minute and they, they kind of began to, to do one of their, their religious chants and then all of a sudden they just quit. And one of them looked at him and said, in our religion we really don't have any songs. Folks, if you don't have a religion that sings, that just brings a song to your heart, and I know we're not all musically talented, uh, you don't want me to burst out into song, you know. I have a song that I've, ever, ever since I've been working on this sermon, there's just, there was just a song that came to me uh, that uh, it's an old cowboy song. It says, for a cowboy has to sing. For a cowboy has to yell. And I thought, I'll just sing it to him. And then I thought, no, I won't do that. <laughs> I, I won't put him through that. You know, but, but uh, a Christian, you know, there, there's just a song in their heart You need to follow someone who has a song in their heart. And you need to follow somebody. You need to see an example and find an example of somebody who knows what life is like without God. You know, Paul says to Timothy, Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And this is someone, Paul is someone who knows what it's like not to believe. He knows what it's like not to be a Christian. He knows what it's like to walk in the way of the world and not in the way of God. He knows what it's like to to be saved. Someone who's testimony about the grace of God. And that describes Paul. It's a trustworthy statement, Paul said, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. He knew that he was a sinner. He knew that he was someone who needed salvation. So if you want to follow the example of a godly Christian, it must not be someone who is self-righteous, someone who always presents himself as, as being perfect, as knowing the right way, of always being the right person. You need to follow someone who knows that apart from grace, there too go I. I'm lost without God's grace. I'm lost without God's mercy. What I do is not in my own strength. It's in the strength of God who has given me his mercy and his grace. And then to go along with that, It needs to be somebody who rejoices in conversion. That's why they have a song. They know what they were. They know what they would be without God's grace. And they rejoice in what God has done. Look what he says. Timothy, the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and the love that are found in Christ Jesus. And then his song. Now the king immortal, invisible, 
the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. One of the things that uh, seems to be prevalent in the seminary uh, today among the students that I serve, uh, they talk about being and having mentors in, in their life. You know, when way, way, way back when I was in seminary, we, we kind of talked about discipleship and you wanted to disciple somebody and have one. But, but today they're talking about something more than that, more than, more than discipleship. And, and most of us in here are too old to have a, an actual mentor. And the rest of us probably won't find one. They're really hard to come by. And there are a lot of people who will give you advice. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But somebody who will take interest in your life and follow your life and give you the kind of, of instruction and guidance that Paul gave uh, Timothy. What a blessing it is to find someone like that. But what our responsibility is, is to find people that are an example that we can look at and we can, and we can try to, to model our lives after their Christian life, after the way they live for Jesus Christ. You know, I was thinking through this. And I said, okay, so, so you've said that and you've made that. So who were those people in your life? Well, you know, when I was in grade school, I had a Sunday school teacher. Uh, we just loved him. Those of us who are in the class... We just, we just thought he was the cat's meow. I mean, he was the tops. Uh, but not only was he our Sunday school teacher, he was also a teacher at our junior high. And when we went to junior high, we saw him in class. Uh, we saw him with the students. We saw him with the teachers. You know, there, there was an incident I won't relate to you now that, that, that happened, and I, and I thought, you know, that's the kind of person I want to be. You know, I want to be the kind of a person that Sagey Bun is. And he was, the, he was the teacher. He was my Sunday school teacher. He was my geography teacher. But he was my life teacher. He showed me what it was like to live at school. And then, as I, as I was a little bit older, I had a baseball coach. Uh, he was a summer baseball coach. He taught us in the summertime. And he loved Jesus. He graduated from Aztec High School several years before I did. And then he went to Baylor. He played baseball at Baylor. And when he would come home for summers, he would be our coach. And uh, he, he would coach our baseball team. And, and he, he just loved the Lord. And while he was home on when he was home on summers from college, he pastored churches around our, for, for the summer, a church that didn't have a pastor. He would go and he would pastor the church. One, one summer, he pastored the church at Dove Creek. And uh, one Sunday morning, he, he, uh, or one Saturday, he called me up and he said, Roger, he says, I, I want you to go to Dove Creek with me tomorrow. I thought, well, great, a chance to get out of church. I'll go, I'll go to his church instead of our church, you know. And... Uh, so I said, sure, I'd, I'd, like to go, I'd like to go with you. And so we, I got in the car and we took off to, to, to head for church. And about halfway to Dove Creek, he said, uh, 
Before I preach this morning, I want you to stand before the church and share your personal testimony of Jesus Christ. I said, you tricked me. <laughs> you didn't say anything about that. And he says, I just, I, I just want you to do it. And so at the First Baptist Church or at the Baptist Church in, in Dolores, I don't even know the name of the church, I spoke before a congregation for the very first time. Why do you think he did that? Why do you think he did that? Because he was trying to put his life into my life so I would understand some, some of those things. And, and uh, I was kind of mad at him at the time, but after it was over, it was the kind of thing, I want to grow up and be like Jerry. I want to be like he is. I want to love Jesus like he does and care for people like he does. And then I got to be a pastor, got out of seminary, began to pastor a church. Nobody was probably less prepared to be a pastor than I was, even though I had a master's degree in it. And so I began to look at other pastors, the ones that I could see. It wasn't nearly as easy as it is now. You know, now you can go on the internet and you can find pastors everywhere. But back then it was a whole lot more difficult. But I found a few that I could get their tapes and I would listen to their sermons and I would read what they wrote and I would try to get a hold of anything I could about their churches. Uh, Jimmy Draper, some of you may remember that name. Uh, Adrian Rogers, Roy Dunn, Jack Taylor, Billy Graham. I looked at their life to see how they preached, how they pastored, how, how to duplicate that in my own life and in my own ministry. And Jimmy Draper was the only one of those men I ever met. But they were all instrumental in my spiritual growth and in my pastoral ministry and in, and in my life as being a Christian. Because, you know, you, you can follow Jesus, and that is our life goal. And you can emulate Paul as, as much as you know about him. But you need to look at the people you see who are following Christ and living successfully, spiritually, in our world. And you need to see if you can follow them and be like them. That's what Paul said to Timothy. Then he says, Timothy, you need to think about your spiritual gift. All through these three letters, he, or these two letters, he talks about spiritual gifts. Uh, in chapter 1 and verse 18, he says, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in order, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. And so evidently, although we don't have those prophecies, there were some prophecies that he had made concerning Timothy and about who Timothy was and what Timothy was supposed to do. And so he says to Timothy, Know that gift. Hear that prophecy. Now, it would be really good if somebody prophesied into our life and told us what our spiritual gift was. But, but in the meantime, we need to think about what is that spiritual gift? What spiritual gift do we have in, in our own life? Paul says this in, over in Romans. He's talking to the church. He's talking to you. And he says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. So we who are many 
are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, God has graced us all differently, but he has graced each of us with this grace gift. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If it's preaching according to your faith, if it's service in serving, if it's teaching in teaching, he who is a counselor in his counseling, he who gives, give liberally, he who is a leader, lead with diligence, he who shows mercy, be merciful with cheerfulness. You know, those are the things that Paul says that we ought to have. Those, those are basically seven motivational spiritual gifts. And folks, I want to tell you something. You have at least one of those. You have primarily one of those. Do you know which one it is? It's what Paul says. Know what it is. Know what your gift is. Know what the gift is that God has given to you. And then intentionally use it in ministering to others. Then later on, over in the fourth chapter, in the 14th verse, he says to Timothy, Don't neglect the spiritual gift within you, which is bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. He says, don't neglect that spiritual gift. You know, he doesn't ever tell us what that gift is. But first he's told us that he gave it to him by prophecy, and now he says, don't neglect it. Whatever gift it is that God has given to you, don't neglect it. Use it in serving others. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I remind you, to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He says, kindle it afresh. Get it going all over again. Keep it up. Keep going and using the gift that God has given to you. We need to know and discover and to try and to experiment and to pray and to read and to study until we know what God's gift in our life is, what God has gifted us in order to serve the rest of us and and serve his kingdom. We need to know what that gift is. And then we need to not neglect it and start using it. Because anything you successfully do for Jesus Christ, you do because you exercise the gift of God in your life. Paul says to Timothy, don't neglect the spiritual gift. Don't neglect it. Use it and keep it up. And then kind of what we talked about last week, he comes back. And he says, Timothy, fight the temptation to quit. Fight the temptation to give it up. You know, spiritual growth is not easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Anybody could do it. And the truth is, is spiritual growth over the years becomes more like a grueling battle than a pleasant retreat. But Paul says, fight the temptation to quit. Verse 18 of chapter 1, he says, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, in accordance with the prophecies made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. He describes spiritual growth as a fight. It's a good fight, but it's a fight nonetheless. And we have to fight this fight. It doesn't just come easily. He says to Timothy, Timothy, it's a fight of faith. 
You have to have faith. You have to trust your faith. You have to trust the Lord. You have to trust your path. You have to trust the way that you're going. You have to have trust in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 6 and verse 12, he says, fight the good fight. He's already said that. Here he says it again, but he says, fight the good fight of faith. He adds faith to it. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You know, the faith that you have in Jesus Christ, and you're trusting Christ for eternal life. You you are, aren't you? I mean, we're trusting Christ for eternal life. Paul says, get a hold of that. Give a hold of that. You were made a confession of faith. Live it. Live in it. Reach out. Fight that fight of eternal life. And then he warns him. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. He says, but Timothy, understand this. The good soldier of faith in Christ Jesus, it's not easy. He's going to suffer hardship. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 3. He says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You know, that's scary. First of all, it's just scary that he calls us soldiers. You know, we we, we don't want to think of ourselves as soldiers. You know, we want to think, you know, I I don't know what we want to think of ourselves as, but Paul calls us soldiers. We are soldiers of the good fight. We are soldiers of the cross. We're, we're, We're marching by faith into the battle that God has has prepared for us. And it's going to include hardship. Timothy, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Keep growing. Don't quit on your spiritual growth. There may be some things you need to quit, but it's not your spiritual growth. Keep up your spiritual growth. Years ago, back in the 90s, we were living in Moriarty, New Mexico. I was pastoring the church there. And one of my good friends, one of my church members, uh, talked me into bow hunting. So uh, I went and I bought a bow and set up a target and uh, began to practice shooting the bow and uh, put in for an elk permit and uh, started elk hunting, bow elk hunting uh, at Mount Taylor down by Grants, New Mexico. If you're opposed to hunting, you're absolutely with me because I never touched a thing with one of the ends of those arrows. But boy, I worked at it hard. I worked at it really, really hard. Um, But one day... Uh, we were hunting. We were we were up on Mount Taylor, and uh, it's down by Grants, New Mexico, east of Alba, west of Albuquerque. And uh, it was about ten o'clock in the morning, ten thirty in the morning. And you know, if you if you hunt elk, you realize that ten thirty or eleven o'clock in the morning that's awful late for hunting. Uh, if you're hunting elk, you got to hunt them early in the morning or late in the evenings, and then go eat all the rest of the day or whatever else you do. Uh, because unless you just absolutely get lucky, you're not going to find anything after the sun comes up high. 
But uh, I was walking. I was by myself. I don't know where Bobby was. I don't know where Alan was. They, they were all up there somewhere. But uh, I, was, I was walking along the, the, just that edge of the mountain between the spruce and the aspen. You know, you're hoping that one will come running out of the cool of the aspen and run out, I mean, of the cool of the spruce and run out into the aspen where you can see him and shoot him. Uh, never happens, but that's what you're always hoping will happen. But I would walk a little ways and stop and look and gaze and find a place to sit and watch and be as quiet as I could be. And, you know, when, when you're alone in the wilderness like that, your mind can go a million places. I mean, you can think about things that, uh, you know, you, you never imagined before. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You, you're hunters. You, you've done that. Well, this was a beautiful fall day. Uh, not having much luck finding elk. And, you know, at 10 o'clock, the hunting day's over until evening. And I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting, and, and, and I hear myself telling myself, you know, there's a golf course at the bottom of this mountain. <laughs> and I'd get up and walk a little bit, and I'd sit down, and I'd hear myself say, there's a golf course at the bottom of this mountain. And finally, literally, I just stood up and I talked back to myself. I said, well, then if there's a golf course and that's all I can think about, why am I hunting? Why don't I go play golf? And that day, I walked off the mountain, got in my truck, drove home, and I never went bow hunting again. Whenever I thought about going bow hunting, I'd just go play golf. I mean, if I'm going to think about it anyway, I might as well do that. Um, here's the thing. I don't want my spiritual life to be like that. I want to have a passion for God, a passion for Jesus. I want to know God. I want to live for Jesus. And I want that to be evident in my life. I want you to be able to see that in my life. I want my wife to be able to see that in my life. I want my kids to be able to see that in my life. I want my neighbors to be able to see that in my life. I want to fight the good fight every day and keep growing so that I never, ever quit. That's not mandatory. I can be a good Christian and not have that attitude. You can't be a Christian without knowing Jesus Christ. You can't be a Christian without believing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, but you can be without having that kind of a passion. I was talking about my, to my brother about this one day, several, several years back. This old I'm a generalist attitude, you know, I, I think the word we, I was using then was I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none, you know, and uh, I have no overriding passion for any hobby at all. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He says, I was just talking to my wife about this, only I didn't use the word generalist. He said, my words were, I'm mediocre. 
He says, I'm a mediocre hunter. I'm a mediocre golfer. Then he says, I'm a mediocre father. I'm a mediocre husband. And I'm a mediocre Christian. And I'm sick of it. Folks, don't settle for mediocre. If you don't have a passion, work on your passion for God and for being what God has called you to be. For following the examples of those who, who love Jesus and follow Jesus. Of, of finding and knowing and using your spiritual gift. Of being the person that God's called you to be. And never, ever quit. Let's pray together.